You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, Buzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menunos and Bing.com, and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's Hannibal After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Hannibal After Show. Yes, Bing is for doing, and we are doing a special, very special version of the Hannibal After Buzz After Show uh, with myself, Joe Braswell. I'm joined, as always, by Julia Kearley. Hi, we missed you, Braz. And thank you. <laughs> and, and by Joe Sanfilippo. I did not miss you at all. Thank oh, you. You okay. suck. And also <laughs> by Nando Velasquez. And like the three little bears, uh, I missed you just right. Thank you. Not too much, not too little. I was, I was in New York for just a couple right. of weeks, had a great time, but who cares about that? Because on the line, we have the series showrunner and executive producer of our favorite show Hannibal, Mr. Brian Fuller. Hello. I I missed you terribly. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So listen, so thank you so much for coming for coming on on with us. Um, We're we're, we're so glad you decided to actually do uh, this show, our show and and Hannibal as well. And I just want to start by saying, you know, when, when when I heard initially that there was going to be a series Hannibal, I was like, "Oh no, what how's this going to work?" And then I heard it was going to be you, Ryan Fuller, and I'm like, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, this this is going to be good. This is going to be really good." But I had no idea that it would be this effing good. I had no idea that this would be this good. In fact, you know, without the risk of sounding too gushy, I think this is a bit of a masterpiece. And and we're only in season one, and I haven't even seen the finale yet. So, first of all, congratulations and thank you. Oh, thank you guys for being so supportive. Well, we, 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 it's easy to support a, a, great, a great show like this. We're obsessed. Yeah, we're, we're very it's much amazing. obsessed. And you know, well, you know what's cool is we were led to your show by fans also. Like, we, we were doing other shows, and they said, you guys have to be doing Hannibal. You have to be. And, and we, got, uh, we got email after email after email, and, and just, like, you, insisting that we, that we do this. And once we started, we were like, oh, my God, why weren't we doing this earlier? So beautifully done. Watch? What's that? Did you binge watch to catch up? Yes, we did. We, we did. We binge watched and binge, and binge it, podcast. Just actually. to be fair, this was a show that we wanted to see, but because of our scheduling at AfterBuzz, because we do a couple other shows, we weren't able to. It was a show we still wanted to watch as fans, but the fans really wanted us to comment on the show, and uh, so it got us really even that much more um, entrenched. And watching, so, I, I must say that watching four or five episodes of Hannibal back to back will mess with you. Yeah, it's not 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 not, I didn't not sleep highly for a recommended. Week. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I've seen episodes close to bedtime, and they've given me nightmares, and I wrote them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that sounds about right. That's what have I done right. to myself? <laughs> exactly. So, I was raised Catholic. I'm used to that sort of like self, uh, <laughs> Oh, it's good stuff. So was I. <laughs> so I want to. So let's dive in here. I want to. You know, you 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 just start a little bit back. It gets a little bit of background and history here. You know, um, you know, we have these characters that have been around for almost thirty years. You know, you have you have fans of the books and you have fans of the movies. You have like a, a list of a murderer's row list of Academy Award nominated and winning actors who played these roles. Like all of this seems very very intimidating to me um, uh, to 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 start. Like what. What brought you to this role and, why, and, and to this show, and, and what made you want to do it? 
Well, really, the the reason I wanted to do it was to make sure I I could I wanted to watch it. Right. Uh, I was it was very selfishly motivated. Um, a friend of mine who just became the CEO of Galmont, uh TV. I ran into her on a plane, and she said, we just acquired the rights to the Hannibal Lecter character. Do you think that there's a show here? Not asking me if I wanted to do the show, but just if I thought that there was potential in the story. And my first reaction was, oh, my God, I have to do this to make sure that I'm protecting my place in the audience because I'm a huge fan of the character. I'm a student of the literature so I was, I, if, if you were choosing a fanboy for this job, I was, I was a pretty good choice. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fairly adamant and passionate about the material. Right. So what, what was your approach? Because, I mean, you, you, there's, there's obviously ways to go. You can try to be as true to the book. You can try to, you know, touch on the movies. I mean, these are all well-established characters that people have their own ideas of. How do you, what, what was your approach here? The, well, the approach was really going back to the literature, and in some sense, with the Will Graham character, you know, we've seen him portrayed in the films as very stoic and and kind of a, a handsome leading man, a bit on the edge. Uh, but in in the book Red Dragon, there is a lot of detail about various kind of personality disorders and neuroses that the character suffers from. And for me, that felt like, oh, God, oh, how vulnerable would somebody that sensitive be having to put them, themselves in the place of a killer on a regular basis? So it seemed like a really uh, challenging thing for the character to have to experience, and, and therefore they become even more heroic because what they're doing is, is bad for them, even though it is saving lives. So that that was really attractive to me, and, and as far as Hannibal goes, we had only seen him really incarcerated or post-incarceration on the lam, or as a young man in, in Hannibal Rising, and so we had never seen what would arguably be, for me, the most interesting part of his life is when he was a practicing cannibal and a practicing psychiatrist. So I was right. really excited about telling that story. Right. I love, I love you did, you did call him at one point a wolf in psychiatrist clothing, which I love that phrase. Mm. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and he is. And so casting Mass Mickelson to play Hannibal felt like it was such a no-brainer, uh, not to reference the, the Ray Liotta character's fate in, in the movie. <laughs> but, uh, it, he, he brings such an elegance to the role. In our very first meeting, we sat down and he said, I don't really want to play him the way Anthony Hopkins played him or Brian Cox played him. I want to play him as though he's the devil. Hmm. And I just thought that was really cool because there is this kind of aspect of the character that is in awe of humanity, but also very punitive toward humanity when, when we misbehave. So when you're writing a character whose motto is eat the rude and refers to his victims as free-range rude, there's, there's, <laughs> you're in for some fun. That's a bumper sticker. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, when you have these established characters, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming as a writer there's, there's inherent challenges. Uh, you know, and you wrote for DS9 and, you, and, and, and produced on DS9 and wrote for Voyager and, and produced on Voyager. Can you discuss some of, the, some of the challenges and the benefits of writing for an established timeline? I mean, there's, uh, it, it's got to be. You've got rabid fans and you've got some stuff that's built in. Well, for me, it, the... the 
I, I wasn't actually, maybe foolishly, I wasn't intimidated by um, what had, you know, the, the, the legacy, because I knew that the story that I wanted to tell as, as a fan would be one that other fans would appreciate. Um, so it, it, there was a safety in knowing that, oh, Thomas Harris did all of the heavy lifting and, and kind of did the bulk of the work for me. Now it's just up to me not to screw it up. Right. And, <laughs> and so there's actually, I didn't have the doubt that I have when I'm writing an original character when, you know, for instance, writing Pushing Daisies, I'm like, does this work? Is this too goofy? Is this, people like this? Whereas I knew Hannibal worked and I knew people loved the character. So that element of doubt was mercifully removed. Right. And does that free you up to focus more on the nuances of the character? Absolutely. That's, that's a really good point because the, you know, the, the big kind of load-bearing elements of a character you you sweat over, but those are all in place and working wonderfully. So now I get to concentrate on the minutia that that makes him more vivid in this incarnation than than perhaps uh, other incarnations because I simply have more real estate to tell his story than you do in a two-hour movie. Right. Well, you know, it's something he said in the last episode uh, when he was talking to Abigail struck me. So uh, he's just his motivation seems to be curious. I was curious what people would do, right? <laughs> Which is terrifying. It's just wild to me, but is that, it, I guess, you know, that's another question for a little bit later on in the interview. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead because I got excited about Mads, and I apologize. <laughs> I, 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 it's just it's something that's been uh, making me crazy. That's the way he oh, goes. Well, uh, should I answer that? Or should I? If you want. Wait. No, you can answer. You can answer. Well, I, I think there's something really terrifying about someone who does deeds just to see what would happen because they're there is no kind of emotional involvement uh, if you're if you're if your if your motivation is curiosity and you know we try to understand why serial killers do what they do and most of the time they're murdering because they're jerks and they <laughs> they don't respect life the way that that we should as human beings and then you meet somebody like Hannibal who clearly has a, re a respect for life and a love for the beautiful things in the world around him yet has no tolerance for those who can't appreciate so I would I would think that that Hannibal would consider most serial killers rude and would they would be on his menu whereas as what the service that he's providing humanity is almost um, a a a favor <laughs> by removing, you know, the element that he, he deems uh, un or unappreciative of what it is to be alive. Awesome. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> so it, I mean, that, like, it, I, I, I think for Hannibal on this show, he's got to be hyper sane as opposed to insane. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's interesting about how Thomas Harris describes him is that he is uncategorizable as a crazy person. So he's not a psychopath because he experiences regret. He's not a sociopath because he experiences empathy. So he is a, a work of fiction and, and serial killers don't think like Hannibal Lecter, which is, is partly why we're so fascinated with him, is that he is this grand wonder that defies uh, categorization. 
fascinated and terrified is why we're so terrified by him as well because he defies categorization. Yeah, right. Think- and it's, but there's there for me, he's less terrifying uh, in a sense because I. I won't be on his menu unless I'm rude. Right. <laughs> so, I'm like, I'm just going to be polite to everybody. And <laughs> so is that the takeaway from the show? Just don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the takeaway. It, it's interesting. Uh, you say that, but I think at times we still question what he's doing because I think we still weren't sure, other than the curiosity, we still wasn't sure about his relationship with Will. With Sometimes Will. putting Will in danger I, with these very creatures that you're saying that Hannibal looks down upon. Absolutely. I well, I like think we've... the thing with Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter, the you know the the big motivation in setting down to do this show that I thought that I was kind of inspired by and and curious about myself was, you know, he had seen Hannibal as this caged beast, and where the other characters in the the picture understand exactly what he's capable of, and. There's a sense of of loneliness and isolation, and I thought, like, what would he be like in relationships? What would he be like in a friendship? What does friendship mean to him? What does uh, a romance mean to him? And so the idea of telling a story about the chapter of his life where he's able to have those relationships, where he can hide his true self and and form a friendship with Will Graham... (laughs) was really exciting because I think he does have, I mean, it's a bromance for lack of a better word. I know it's such a horrible word, bromance, (laughs) but it, it's, it's true. What is happening between Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter is, is very much a genuine intimacy between two grown men that doesn't have a physical component, but has every other component of an intimate relationship. And I thought that was kind of interesting to see what someone like Hannibal Lecter would do in that situation and also who he would be attracted to. Because if Will Graham has the ability to understand even the worst of us, he surely can understand Hannibal Lecter and therefore be a an appropriate companion in a sense. Mm. Hey, Brian, since um, since you've started writing for Deep Space Nine and you've done Wonder Walls and, and Pushing Daisies and Dead Like Me, all these great stuff, I, I, I feel like you're as a showrunner, you're a name that when you're attached to something, people's ears perk up and they expect really good things out of your work. What do oh, you think you. what do you think uh, what do you think defines a Brian Fuller show for you? Um gosh it's, uh, well I think before Hannibal Lecter, before Hannibal, I would I would say that there there was an expectation of kind of whimsy and you know cinematically aggressive storytelling. But now that I've done Hannibal, and it's it's such it's so much darker than anything that I've done previously. Um, I think there's a a an expectation of, of cinema, which I'm I'm very proud of because I I. I'm adamant about production design and sound design and and wardrobe and all of those things that that I love as a film goer and sort of uh, you know will point out or or pick up on. So I I love the I love producing the shows that I work on within an inch of their lives. Hmm. You know, so it's it's I love the 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 attention to detail. Well, so it, maybe an attention to detail would be a good thing. <laughs> sure, sure. I love that question. Why are you so awesome? <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me why you're so awesome. Go. 
Uh, <laughs> Let's talk more about you. No, uh, no but it's, it's 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 true, and it, it definitely shows. And you know, um, just getting into the, the the production side and then and just the television side of this a little more. I mean, one of the things we love about this show is in addition to its being amazing, is that first we start with that cool device of like the audience knowing, only knowing uh, the Hannibal's Hannibal Lecter and the characters in the in the show not knowing that, which is an awesome device. Which I don't know that I've seen before, but it's amazing because what's built into that is our 30 years of expectations of Hannibal Lecter, you know, and then, and then on top of that is what you're doing with this character, what Mads is doing with this character. But what the question is like, the show is a, is a, is a perfect blend. It's like a part drama, high-stakes drama, it's psychological horror, it's part thriller, it's procedural, there's like some noir elements in there, like, was, was, I don't think I've ever seen anything executed on that many levels at this, at this, at, like this, was that intentional, was that your plan from the beginning, or was it just to sort of mix these genres and come up with something um, new, or was it like, I'm gonna do a horror thriller? Well, I, I wanted to stay true to the genre that, that Hannibal is uh, part and parcel of, which is, you know, Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie. And uh, Thomas Harris is he has created this hybridization of the crime thriller and the horror story that is very much a, a, you know, a hallmark of his work. So I was really excited to be playing in that playground. Um, and I think one of the things that is, is, is exciting for me for the show is to have a philosophical conversation with these murders, since, since most murderers are, are just jerks, and, and the ones on our show have a very creepy philosophical art to what they do. And that, that seemed like it was a great opportunity to merge, you know, a thoughtful show into something that was also uh, cinematic, and you know we the the murders on the show. Um, I have a harder time watching a you know a half naked woman splayed out in the street who's been raped and murdered than I do a totem pole of bodies <laughs> because it's it's the totem pole is such a heightened reality and and a little purple like the other villains in Thomas Harris's work, whether it be Francis Dollarhide or, or James Gum, aka Buffalo Bill, they all have this this philosophy behind who they are and why they do the things that they do. So for me the more kind of heightened it is, the easier it is to write because I, I don't want to be in in the business of just Recreating the horrible things that people do every day for us to watch at ten o'clock at at night, just to to kind of remind you that there are evil people in the world. I want to see something that is not real and is heightened and has those elements that you were talking about in terms of the show with, that, that have a design to them and that have a thoughtfulness to them, so that it's easier actually for me to write. Because if I were just writing about jerks raping and killing women i i would i would be so depressed (laughs) i I think that's that speaks to another question we had for you are are some of these guys based on actual serial killers or are these these 
fully fictional uh, characters. Like, like you know, most procedurals have, you know, like, the, the, you'll hear, like, in Law and Order or whatever it is, it'll be like, these are all based on real guys. And I guess what we're saying is, please tell me there's no mushroom guy. Or a totem. Please. I don't want to go to the beach and see the I, totem pole. Is it? <laughs> please tell me there's no cello neck guy. I hope there aren't these guys. They're, you know, <laughs> they, like Hannibal Lecter, are, are works of fiction. And you know, our, our mushroom guy, which was inspired by a TED Talk on, on how mycelium is so close to functioning as human beings function in terms of their, their physical organism. And so uh, that became like, oh, what if, what if a guy was trying to combine those two ideas and, and bridge the gap between mycelium and homo sapiens mm-hmm. in a way that was about making connections? And then we could also say that that is a metaphor for what Will Graham is experiencing in the episode because he is getting ready to go into therapy and make a different kind of intimate connection himself. So every every one of these weird murders that we do has some sort of metaphorical correlation to what Will Graham is experiencing as a character in that episode, which which is sort of like, it's it's a very tidy way to tell a story, but it's also really helpful because you you know if you don't have that that metaphorical component that the episode just isn't working yet. Yeah. Well, I was going to say if if the writers are coming up with all of these uh, all of these deaths, then do they have background checks? Just want to make sure. <laughs> they should. They should. <laughs> and there's there's certainly um, some that that come up with more than others that are that are definitely questionable. Like there's there's um, a guy that we have on the show who came up with the mushroom uh, man episode named Scott Nimmerfro, and and he worked with me on pushing daisies, and he came up with the the killer who was killing people with his beard of bees and you know, those ideas like this nobody else comes up with so very inventive we, so Scott bears watching huh is that yes yes Scott Nimmerfro should have should absolutely have a background check <laughs> no. I, I, I just I just really um, yeah Oh yeah, the, uh, the, the yeah. There's no angel wing guy, which is fantastic, which is which is good to know. I really thought that that mushroom guy. I, I said it before, it sounded like a just a Dennis Hopper rant. Just the, when when we when they caught him and he was saying the reason for why he wanted to inter- interconnect, you know, the, the the people. It felt like it, it really like felt like something like a Hopper would say. You know, it, it didn't feel like it could be real. But you know, oh, that, that's that's a huge compliment. I, you know, <laughs> the, I think the the fun of that is that. No, the the guy. If that guy actually existed, he was he's probably just a maniac and, and wasn't thinking about connections. Uh, but that's the the beauty of of telling these stories that we get to give <laughs> we get to glamorize serial killers. Sure. Now, <laughs> you you push uh, you definitely push the graphic element of this show at ten o'clock. I mean, some of it is great, like the montage, the the cooking montage. I think in one scene, we we all jumped out of our seats. But also the spleen in the food processor. But also just just looking at some of these kills and looking at some like the totem pole and such and seeing how it is. I mean, what do you? How do you play around with this? Even for network TV uh, at ten o'clock at night. And also, I I just feel like. has cable ever been a thought for you on this, or, or uh, do you have more fun trying to play in the broadcast window? Well, there was the, the conversation came about with NBC when I was working on uh, Mockingbird Lane for them, and they had me in first position on on Mockingbird Lane. So, in order to do Hannibal, 
it would be easier if it was with NBC who is controlling both properties and could say, um, yes, we'll allow Brian to work on, on Hannibal as well as, as Mockingbird Lane, as opposed to having to navigate that with two different studios or networks. Um, so that was one consideration. The other consideration really was Jen Salke at NBC, who's the entertainment president, said, I will let you do the show that you want to do. And right. I was like, it's going to be gory. And she's like, we will <laughs> let you do the show that you want to do. And there's only been, there was one, the, we know we had the, the Columbian necktie. Uh, oh, yeah, with the, with the tongue still moving. The moving tongue. <laughs> exactly. We enjoyed that very much. <laughs> did we? And, we did. <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm, I'm curious if, like, there's going to be uh, novelty uh, tongue ties. <laughs> wow. Now. If not, market it right now. You got a couple months till Halloween. Could be market. Um, But for instance, that that became uh, that was formally the guy was supposed to be in a chair uh, with his with a a chain tied to his uh, intestine, and so when the character comes into the room and turns on the light, it activates a ceiling fan, which spools the intestines out of out of his body, And, and and NBC was like. You know, we're we're we've been very lenient, <laughs> and we we just can't imagine oh. how you're going to shoot that. Yeah. that I would it. love to be a fly on the wall in that meeting. Yeah. <laughs> well, God, like, you I, know, Brian, we 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 love it. We do. <laughs> how about a Colombian necktie? But I wonder. <laughs> how about a necktie? I, I just can't <laughs> help but feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, wow. Been, you know, we had in the one of the the more comedic conversations with the the standards and practices were the you know we had the the angels the the blood eagles that were made with the people's backs splayed open into angel yeah. wings, yeah. and they they had bare buttocks in in the in the shot and. <laughs> and Standards and practices were like you cannot show the butt crack. <laughs> Only in America. That's their main issue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it you know it's it's a butt crack and and you know it, it's maybe like Mary Hart's legs could cause seizures right. or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> the sound of Mary Hart's voice. Yes. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> so we couldn't show a butt crack, and so I said, "What if we filled the butt crack with blood so it actually obscured the crack?" <laughs> And they said that would be great. Wow. <laughs> let, let me ask you a Just question, and you don't, you, you don't have to answer. Do, do you sometimes at, like approach those with like the most absurd reaction you can come up with and just see if it works? No, I was actually thinking like, okay, if the butt crack is the issue, let's cover it up. What could we cover it up with? How about blood? Blood, yeah. blood and flesh. <laughs> I, lo- I, lo- I love the idea of the uh, standards of practice. We're like, this is horrible. We're like, what, what, what? The butt crack. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that, which was the least of our well, worries. Right? Of what we were doing. Right. Just put a little blood on it. That's that answers <laughs> that's, everything. That's hilarious. When in doubt, just throw a little blood <laughs> on it. Blood on yeah, it. <laughs> they'll be fine if you just cover a little blood on it. <laughs> um, so Brian, we've touched a little bit here on uh, on on the characters and how they're being played by some uh, some pretty uh, heavyweight actors here in Hollywood. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the casting process? You talked you talked to us a little bit about uh, casting Mads, which was just brilliant, brilliant casting. We are in love with his lecture. We just absolutely are obsessed with it. What about uh, Hugh Dancy? He's been fantastic as well. Absolutely perfect. No disrespect to any other person. Ed Norton or uh, William Peterson. William Pil- we, Peterson. We love, we love uh, Will. We, we love us some Hugh, Hugh Dancy. Dancy. Fancy, fancy Dancy is what oh. I call him. <laughs> fancy P- FPD. I'm saying it. Joe hates it. <laughs> FPD. FPD. 
Well, he, you know, he was it's such a a complicated character that could be alienating in another actor's mind if you're playing somebody who's who's twitchy on the verge of losing their their sanity at any given moment. That could could go all sorts of 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 ways that that wouldn't necessarily be um, inviting for an audience. And what I thought was was kind of great about Hugh was he has a face that invites you in first. And so when a cute guy goes crazy, it's so much easier to say like, oh my gosh, that poor man. But when a, you know, a less attractive man goes crazy, you're just thinking like, oh God, lock him up. (laughs) He definitely wanted to have a a, a face that would, would welcome the audience along with the journey because he really tucked us all under his arm and, and braved the path of insanity in a way that made it relatable in, in a strange sense and also entirely empathetic where every, you know, most people that I talk to seen the show are just like, oh, poor Will Graham, that poor man, Hannibal's so mean. And then my argument is, well, Hannibal is actually performing a, a, a radically unorthodox form of therapy that, in his mind, is helping <laughs> Will Graham be truer to himself. Hmm. So it's it's fun to see the 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 reactions to how cruel Hannibal is being to poor Will Graham, who is this sweet-faced man who loves dogs and you know has has an intense likability to him. So. Seeing him in Nurse Jackie playing a sympathetic role, and and also I went to see um, Venus and Fur on Broadway, and his performance in that was really magnetic. So uh, he was actually the easiest person to cast and the first person to cast right. because we we network studio everybody kind of went oh he dancey he's that, that he would be great let's ask him if he'd do it and he said yes. That's great. I can't tell you how many times that the four of us have said, "Poor Will Graham, poor, poor Will." Will. Especially on my own. the uh, the clock Uh-oh. when when he drew the when he drew the clock the oh, displacement. Poor Will, <laughs> pulling on my heartstrings. We're like, is it look like we're like? No, that's not seven <laughs> fifteen. <laughs> that's not seven fifteen at all. I <laughs> have never and he does that. The, one of the sort of insidious moments for me in the show was when Hannibal conspired with the, the neurologist yeah. Will about his condition. Sure. Oh, and poor that's, Will. That's, <laughs> that, that's just creepy to think that, that your doctor is lying to you just because he's curious to see what would happen when you get sicker. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things we talked about a few weeks before, and that's why we had so much trouble with the character like, because we, we really got in, we, we bought in for a minute, and maybe it is true in his way, but you know, he's, when he was when he was talking to to uh, to uh, to uh, to her, uh, what's I'm sorry to uh, to his shrink about oh I, I want to have a friend my, I'm, I'm exploring friendship with with Will Graham, and uh, and then and then the next episode he's like yeah well let the encephalitis go for a little while see what happens. Right. <laughs> well, I think that's the, it's everything that Hannibal does to Will Graham is to it, it, he does see it as as a form of therapy in the same way that um, Jack Crawford struggling with his his wife uh, dying of cancer and the loss of his his FBI trainee that he essentially threw to the wolves 
by by making those phone calls to Jack, it was, it was like, oh my God, it's so cruel. And then on another hand, it's 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 forcing Jack to deal with his his torment. And so it is a form of therapy. It's you could argue that it's bad parenting, but it's still a form of parenting. Sure. Mm. You, you said earlier that that you're really uh, you're committed to the idea of a cinematic look, and you're you're, you're so into the the design uh, and, and and the details of each show. Uh, you, you've got some amazing directors working on this. You got Guillermo Navarro, you got Michael Raymer, you got John Dahl, David Slade. Uh, how did you come up with that? How did you? Uh, I guess you, you guys had this visual look in the pilot with with you and David Slade. Is that something you guys envisioned from from the beginning, or that kind of developed through production? Well, there's, there's a specific look that that this show has that 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 does a visual language that that you've come up with, whether it's the pendulum right. swinging back and forth, some other things, and you know what what. Did, that that visual style is that something that you came up with? That was that you and Slade in the pilot. Yeah, the, you know, the, it was really about myself and David working with Patty Podesta, um, who was our production designer, who you know designed Inception and Memento, and and has a fantastic visual flair. And David is one of the most meticulous directors I have ever worked with. I absolutely adore this man. And he is as passionate about the show as I am, which was great to have in a partner. Also, he's as, as meticulous as I am. So we, between the two of us, very little slipped through because we were both kind of hound dogs when it comes to aesthetic. And the directors that we had come on board they, for instance, Michael Reimer, when he st- when he did the mushroom episode, he hadn't seen a frame of what David shot. So wow. we had also our our wonderful cinematographer Jim Hawkinson, who provides the look of the show, um, as as the the common ground that goes through all of these directors, and and we we tone we have these tone meetings that are very meticulous and and turning every page and I'm a big uh, movie referencer and so I would constantly be saying okay you need to see this movie because you know this is sort of the tone that, that we, we need and, and particularly with John Dahl who is a very experienced feature film director and, and uh, has his, has tried his hand at horror very successfully I, I love Joyride which is the uh, uh, a movie that came out uh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. 2001. So I knew that John Dahl was going to be able to deliver the horror story yeah. of it. And it was really about just talking to everybody and getting them excited. And with with Guillermo Navarro, I knew it was going to look beautiful. And I knew because I just worked with him on Mockingbird Lane. And he was so fantastic. And I was like, you should be directing. And he was like, well, then hire me as a director. And <laughs> so I did. And so it was really about surrounding myself with really great people and having them elevate everything that we produced as as the writers. So it, it, it just goes to good team building, I think. Right. Well, speaking of production design, just really quickly, we, we also know, I, you know, one of my favorite chefs is, is Jose, is Jose Andres. And, um, you know, the fact that he was is, he's involved in this show is both wonderful and disturbing to me because I don't know after seeing some of these dishes that I can go eat at Bazaar again and, and not think of Hannibal Lecter. So, so you're talk, not sure what you're getting at Bazaar some uh, of the time know, anyway. I know, exactly. <laughs> that my, my cotton candy foie gras is making me... Uh, <laughs> but, but listen, well, the, the Philly cheesesteak sandwich is my favorite thing. I love that. I love Bizarre. that. It's like a puff, nice puff of Philly cheesesteak 
pastry air. Oh, so good. <laughs> so it could be made of anybody, and I would still eat it. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's how did how did he get involved in the show, and, and and how much does he you know have it involved in what is it the overall look of the dishes? Is it the recipes? Like how was he involved there? Well, I had been a fan of his for quite a while uh, between In Spain, which is his cooking show, and you know his guest appearances on Top Chef. So I had always loved how passionate he was about food. And one of the very first phone calls I made when I got the job to do Hannibal was to my agent saying, how do I get in contact with Jose Andres? Because Hannibal Lecter needs to have a greater culinary expertise than I do. And I would love for him to be the consultant. And they were like, oh, actually, we represent him. And, you know, he just won the James Beard Award. So why don't you come to the reception and ask him yourself? So I did, and I did, and when I mentioned Hannibal, his face lit up. Oh, no. and <laughs> the the Chianti, you know, tooth sucking sound uh, that yeah. thing, and uh, said, "You have to hire me as your consultant." And I was like, "Well, actually, I was just about to ask you." Um, and then we started about eating people, and you know what. What can you eat on the human body? And he said, everything. There isn't anything that you can't eat. You can emulsify eyeballs. You oh. can you know, take the, the, the whole lung thing from, from the very first episode. There was a scene that we cut from it where Hannibal meets the, the young woman that he impales on the severed stag head. Mm-hmm. And she's a smoker. And so then as he's preparing the lungs, he sort of like dabs at the tissue and tastes it. And he says, pre-smoked. Which was all, you know, Jose's idea of like, oh, you get the lungs of the smoker and the smoke penetrates the tissue and you clean out the top layer where the tar collects and then you have this great smoky dish that's pre-smoked. And he was so giddy and excited about all the different things that you could do with a human being that it was, it was pretty, um, it was pretty infectious. And he... He was talking about... He needs a background uh, check. Yeah. Pardon? He needs a background check. (laughs) He and Scott. That that it is not uncommon for chefs to talk about what it would would be like to prepare and eat a human being because they're constantly looking for a new flavor profile and the next dish and how do you you continue to uh, provide something that's very distinct to your to, to your diners. So I, I kind of dug that he had no preciousness about the cannibalism and that meat is meat is meat is meat. We, right. we talked about this when we first started doing. We first started talking about the show. How how you guys must have the most insane meetings of any show in production right now, where you just sit. <laughs> the things that must go on at those tables. Just right, well, let's talk about the lungs. Let's take them out. Well, <laughs> let, let me well, ask. The, the, there's so much that we the, the production meetings are ridiculous. The, the amount of, of of glances around the table and shaking heads between these the you know we film in in Canada and so there's all of these nice uh, Canadian people sitting around the table talking about horrible horrible things that uh, they they're just not used to and it's. It's kind of amusing. Hey, um, so, Brian, uh, I read that you look at this as a seven-season arc for Hannibal. 
And yeah. Red Dragon uh, wasn't going to really happen until season four. That's when you were planning yeah. on talking about Red, uh, Red Dragon and Silence. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty interesting. Uh, this season, obviously, you guys were on the bubble when uh, when NBC announced their upfronts. What was it like uh, for you? And were there any possible uh, possibilities of, of moving the show if NBC ended up not picking it up? Yet there were actually three different broadcasting outlets that had approached the studio and had said, if NBC passes, we would like to uh, pick up the show. So I knew that there was going to be a season two. I just didn't know if it was going to be on NBC or not. Right. That's an ambitious plan. I mean, I, I, I applaud it. The ambitious plan is to go in from the get-go and, have, get-go and say, I have four seasons of story to tell. And by, right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And by, so by, by season four, we're going to get to Red Dragon. Um, that did, no one really balked at that. That was like, okay, you know, because I'm, I'm happy and I, and I pray to God that we get to see all seven seasons. Well, I think there was probably also that element of like, oh, poor Brian, he hasn't got a show past two seasons yet. So <laughs> <he can do. laughs> <laughs> Just let him dream. Don't, don't, don't bother him with reality. No, Brian, that's nice. How about a 20-season show? That's right. really... 20-season <laughs> arc sounds forever. lovely. <laughs> you. So we'd be remiss if we didn't get into just some specifics of the show. We've only got a few minutes left, but we, you know, but, but, but we want to get into some specific questions about uh, you know, some of the characters and some of, the, some of the, the thought process here. So we did a lot of debate amongst ourselves and amongst our, our listeners and viewers. Um, so I, I, I'm interested in Hannibal's relation. We talked about Hannibal's relationship with Will. Like, he really genuinely feels that Will's a friend. Um, I'm, I'm interested in Hannibal's relationship in, with Tobias. That whole Tobias... Uh, One of my favorite characters. Man, that, that, the, the whole, that whole thing with uh, t- Tobias and my, and my guy, like Cam Franklin. Um, yes. First of all, did Hannibal like Franklin? He dispatched yeah, of him he did. very I think quickly. He sort of saw him as a, a a a sad little lonely man, and he wasn't necessarily on the menu because he actually was was you know it said to Tobias, "Don't kill him," and then he tried to get Franklin to leave, and then he was finally like, "Okay, I tried twice." Right, and so it was more of like I really he really wanted Franklin to leave, but when he didn't leave, it's like, "All right, you got to go." Yeah, exactly, and I think right up until the moment that. Um, he snapped his neck, but he was he was hoping that uh, Franklin would walk away from that situation. Right now, in my head, like when Hannibal meets a guy like Tobias, a guy who is, uh, you know, and in some ways likes the finer things in life and loves, you know, uh, arts and culture and music and harpsichords, like you know, right. uh, <laughs> which, uh, but it, it seemed like this is a guy who he'd be he'd want to be friends with. But did Hannibal view him as a as a as a rival, admirer, or friend, a threat? I think he he viewed him as as dangerous to his position in society, which is Hannibal has worked very hard to keep his 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 deeds under the radar or undetectable, and here comes this guy who is acting out in a sense by saying, you know, I'm I'm lonely, I'm looking for a friend, I followed you, I figured out what you were doing. I think Tobias was came on too strong in a sense and was 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 trying too hard to be his friend and in those cases we 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 sort of go like oh you know that's you might not necessarily be the most fun 
to be a friend of because you're trying so hard right now. How is it going to be when we really get to know each other? <laughs> right. And with Will Graham, there's an element of seduction that I think Hannibal is attracted to. It's it's kind of like you're you you want to Hannibal likes the seduction with Will Graham and taking somebody who is a relatively pure human being and then bringing them over to the dark side, but. Tobias was already there and already a little bit reckless. So for Hannibal, it was it was it was not enough of a challenge in a, in a sense. Right. And what about I have to ask about Abigail? Now we haven't seen the the finale yet. We haven't seen that last episode, and it ended on on quite the cliffhanger for us. And we cannot wait to see it. But what do you? What's his relationship to Abigail? Is he more of a mentor? Is he a father? Is it is she just another test subject to him? Well, I, I think the, the relationship with, with Abigail was very genuine, and as you'll see in the finale, Hannibal talks very openly about Abigail and and his relationship to her in, in a way that is is genuine. So I think when, you know, we, we know the backstory of Hannibal Lecter and his, he had a, a young sister that died and uh, horribly. She was eaten by Nazis, as 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 not, you know another reason to hate the Nazis. Um, <laughs> Yet another. So, so there was this affection that I, I was I was kind of trying to draw a parallel with with that that sister relationship and slash daughter relationship, and I think there was something very attractive for Hannibal to adopt the orphaned daughter of a cannibalistic serial killer as a cannibalistic serial killer and to see if he could be a better father figure. Right. And then last, uh, the, the last two on, on, on the characters is, the first question is, how does he feel about Jack Crawford? Because, you know, he has him over for dinner a lot and he's, you know, he's always giving him some modified something or other. Uh, they, seem to, they seem to be <laughs> he should, pals. He's sure feeding uh, Jack some love, oh, man. man he, loves, he loves chatting up with Jack and Jack seems to like him, but is he just a, is it like one of these keep your friends close and enemies close thing or is it, does he really like Jack and then the second part of this which is separate two separate questions is <laughs> did Will there's a there's an episode where he sent Will off we always thought he sent Will to his death that one episode when he was like he sent Will to, to go interview Tobias yes. yes and we're like did is he sending Will to his death or was that a test it was a test uh, and it was it was one where I think he was he was sending Will to eliminate Tobias Ah, and but he was also fully aware that that could go the other direction, and uh, and <laughs> if it did, he would be disappointed by that outcome, but would be curious what happened. And I think that's the the big uh, thing for Hannibal is that he's very curious about humanity and what what we as people do in any given situation. So frequently he will he will like he says to. Abigail, he says, I, I, I was curious what would happen. I was curious what your father would do. I was curious what you would do. I was curious what Will Graham would do. Because he is a psychiatrist, so the, the world is his experiment in a, in a, in a strange way. So that, that can be very um, unsettling as well. Right. And then what about Jack? Well, Jack, I think, I believe that Hannibal Lecter has respect for Jack, but there is also this uh, how dare you think you can catch the Chesapeake Ripper? So I'm going to taunt you. Okay. 
Well, I got one, one, one other question for you. I've noticed, I've noticed, because I'm a genius. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. What, what have you he noticed? Reminds, he reminds himself about that. that. What I've been able to see based on the things you put on the television box. Um, you, you've got some amazingly brilliant comedians that you bring on this show, and you have them doing some dark, dark stuff. You've got Molly Shannon, Eddie Izzard, Scott Thompson, week to week. Uh, wh- why did you go after, what was the reason you went after such, uh, I want to say comedic heavyweights, but from my point of view, they are. Well, I think the, there, there's, there's a truth in comedy that, that a lot of comedy is pain. And, you know, a lot of, of what makes these people so funny is that they are, we're, we are laughing with them at the pain that they are sharing with us and, and through their, through their comedy. But at the core of that is, is, is drama. And, you know, for instance, with Molly Shannon, she's a, she is trained as a dramatic actress, but has this wonderful skill set as, as a, as a comedian that she, she rarely gets those roles. And, with Eddie Azard, who is is a comedian, but also a really interesting actor, he, you know, we, we worked together on Mockingbird Lane. He said up until that point, he had been so resistant about playing any characters that had any comedy to them because he wanted to keep his comedy and his his acting separate. So he was much more attracted to dramatic roles because they they had a sense of gravity to them. Um, but with Mockingbird Lane, he said it was the first time he kind of merged his comedic self and his actor self. And I, I actually think that Eddie is really funny in, in Hannibal with his, his matter of factness <laughs> yeah. and, uh, the way he, he poked at that, uh, um, that, that wiggling tongue and then brought his hands up into like little kitty paws of satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> really amusing. So, um, I, part of it is is I, I think that the, they're all capable of of great works of gravity, and the other part is is that they can bring some levity to the gravity of the show. So it's 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 I'm getting uh, a one two punch. Hmm. Hey uh, Brian, I have a, another two parter for you. Pretty much, I read uh, that you have uh, that you guys are going to be going to Comic Con next month, which is a great uh, place, obviously, for people to catch their favorite TV shows and see panels and see upcoming things. So I heard about that. So I was wondering, what can we expect to see from you guys next month? Uh, obviously, spoiler free, since um, the people who are listening right now, at least, and, and ourselves, haven't seen the finale. And then also, if there's anything you could shed light on uh, to us for what to expect in the coming season. Like, like well, the, the rebirth. The, oh. <laughs> there's, it's, it's hard to um, say without giving spoilers okay. of what happens yeah. in, the, in the finale. Mm-hmm. But the, suffice it to say, for season two, you know, the, for the first season of Hannibal, we've seen Will very much victimized by not only Hannibal Lecter, but Jack Crawford in, in another sense of, of, of the story. So what's very exciting for me in season two is to see Will Graham hit rock bottom and then come up swinging. Great. And, and as far as Comic-Con, I mean, it must be really, I know you've been there before, you're no stranger to Comic-Con, but it must be great to, to actually see the fan reaction that are going to be at the panel <laughs> and just to be around, uh, around that crowd. Well, that's, you know, the, I love Comic-Con because I'm, I'm forever on the look for one action figure or another to complete a collection because I'm OCD and geeky that way. Uh, so 
I love going there, and I actually I I really see myself as a member of the audience because the shows I do I usually do because I want to see them, and I'm I'm hoping that there are other like-minded folks that that want to see them too. So it's it's nice to be at a place where people are so free with their passion uh, for for whatever for a comic book for a movie for a television show it's it's you know so often we are discouraged from being enthusiastic and passionate about things and i and i love that san diego comic-con or any comic-con for that matter exists where people can just be passionate unbridled and not worry about somebody mocking them for liking something a lot are you looking forward to seeing any cosplay with Hannibal, I, <laughs> I would love to see some three-piece suits, some double and triple Windsors, Quinn Quintuple Windsor. I actually I, saw I, I, that you I, posted on Twitter about the how to, uh, a YouTube link how to tie Hannibal's tie. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> It's a, it's a pretty great tie, and his whole like and Mads ties his own ties. They, Does he? Oh. Yeah, we, Wait a minute! <laughs> that, Wait a minute! That now. surprises me not at all. That <laughs> no, does not surprise me that one bit. That blows my mind. Have you seen how perfect those ties yeah. are? Perfect tie. He, he ties them all himself. We we make, wow. We often make jokes about the double and triple and quadruple Windsor. Yes. You know? <laughs> I'm not and qualified is, to tie that somebody tie. Somebody who doesn't have like an aesthetic himself. He when he is not in in character, he is in sweatpants and a stocking cap. He has no interest in in fashion himself. And I'll frequently be like, Oh my god, who made this jacket? And, you know, I wish you were a slightly bigger human being so I could steal your wardrobe. <laughs> and he just, he's like, I have no idea. Right. So last, last thing, we'll let you, we'll let you go on this. Um, uh, there's any truth to the rumors that you may be bringing uh, one of my favorite guys, David Bowie, on next season? Mm. What's, what's up with that rumor? I love David Bowie and <laughs> have been a, a David Bowie obsessive since. Um, God, I guess the first time I saw him was in The Man Who Fell to Earth, and then I discovered his music afterwards, and then he rocked my world in the hunger, and and, um, so I have been a huge fan of his. We have reached out to him to see if he would be interested in, in doing the show, and so that's where we are. We haven't got an answer. And I was like, break uh, some news for me. Break some news, Brian. <laughs> I I would I would move heaven and earth to just to be in the same room with him. So uh, yeah, he's he's one of the the, the very cool uh, uh, guest actors that I would love to get on the show. Sure. Well, listen. Thank you so much for spending this last, yeah. uh, you know, few uh, almost an hour with us, and and, and talking Hannibal. And I, I know we very much appreciate it. I'm sure all the fanables and all the fans listening appreciate it. And um, looking very forward to the finale, and uh, and more and more to come. And we'll we'll hopefully see you over at Comic Con and and and, and, and next season. Absolutely. And, and uh, I'll, uh, if you guys want to talk after the finale, there's there's certainly a conversation to be had. Really? We 100% Ooh, yes, would love to talk to you please. after the finale. So it's, it's on tape right now. I'll mark the tape. The tape. What is this, 1985? <laughs> <laughs> we, we have it. It's on the reel. Bring the reel in. Bring the reel in. No. Yeah, we will, we will definitely set that up. So thank you so much. And uh, I, I guess that, that, that's all we have for today, right, guys? Brian, where can we find you? We know, we, we know you're on Twitter. What, what you, get what your Twitter, your Twitter handle. 
Well, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Nando. Thank you, Julia. And thank you, Joe, again. <laughs> no problem. Brian, such a pleasure, man. Thanks again. And, Brian, we can find you out on Twitter, at Brian Fuller. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And and you also can email me and... Uh, are, are we are we still live? We're still live. Don't, don't give anyone give it out yet. No. And your Not phone yet. number is no. <laughs> home address, please. No, uh, we're, we're, we're going to wrap up and then we can talk to you really quickly after that. But thank you all for joining us, Joe Flippo. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Joe Flippo, J O E F L I P O, uh, and you can also see uh, also catch me with uh, Mr. Joe Braz uh, handling Mad Men here at uh, at After Buzz. Julia Kelly uh, on Twitter, Julia Carely, J U L I A C E A R L E Y. Nandovel, you can find me at Nandovel, N A N D O V E L N. Other shows here at AfterBuzz. I'm Joe Braswell. You can find me at Joe K Braswell here at AfterBuzz and on Madden with Joe Sanflippo. Thank you so much for joining us, Fanables, and yeah. thank you so much, Brian Fuller, and we'll see yeah. you very soon. From Bing.com, executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.